If you have your Bibles, uh, you might want to turn to Romans chapter 6. We finished up last week a, a four-week series on racial reconciliation in the church and God's view of race and, and whatnot. The Lord has been doing some beautiful things in that area, and I would just encourage you all as priests of the Most High God to be sensitive to your boss, the Holy Spirit, who is leading you to bring this about as a reality in the body of Christ, whether it's this particular local body or wherever you go. I encourage you just to be walking in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in that area. Um, but right now we feel led to, to move on to a different issue. I've confronted this a number of times here at Woodland Hills in the last four years, and it's not unusual. The church has always wrestled with this, but it seems like it's been more intense the last six months where people have asked this question in one way or another or reflected this attitude in one way or another, and it's something we need to talk about. I want to title this series uh, today and next week uh, something like Sin, Salvation, and Sanctification. SSS. How clever. Um, actually, I, just, I didn't even notice that they all had SS until just now. But Sin, Salvation, and Sanctification. And the question I want to be asking is the question that was raised in the Bible in Romans chapter 6, which says this. In Romans chapter 5, Paul has been telling us that uh, how we're saved, he says where where sin abounded, where where there was a lot of sin, there was even more grace. Grace did much more abound, he says. And what he's saying there is that sin, or grace, more than makes up the difference for the damage that sin did. God is just pouring out His grace upon all who will say yes to Him. Grace, God's grace, doesn't just break us even. It just doesn't put us back on the level playing field. It more than makes up for the difference. But the question that arises then is this, in, in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then, Paul says? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Since God is... So delighted by extending grace to me, well, I'll just provide for him a ready opportunity at all occasions to give more grace to me. Such a nice deal. He likes to forgive. I like to sin. And I like to be forgiven. How sweet. So I'll do what I do good, and he'll do what he does good, and we just have a great relationship. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Paul says this, by no means. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We died to sin. And all I want to do this morning basically is this. I want to set the, the groundwork for this message by showing why, two things here. How it is that if you understand the good news properly, if you understand what grace is, the question, should we sin that grace may abound, should be asked. So that's the right question to ask. But if you understand grace properly, the answer, no way, should also be the right answer to give. If we know who we are in Christ, we'll understand the question, and we'll understand the answer. This is the right question, and this is the right answer. Let me pray. Father, let your authority and your spirit and your word just fall right now. Lord, it fall on us. 
Lord, I just believe that you came to set your people free. And you want that to be happening here, Lord. And you want a bride that knows that she is pure and spotless and acts like it. So, Lord, I would pray that this would be an occasion whereby your Spirit provides in us an inner fire and motivation to begin to walk with you in a way maybe that we've never walked before, Lord. You've called us to be a holy people. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd use this message. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd uh, right now be going out ahead, ahead of this, every word that's spoken with a sword and that you're slapping, you're cutting in two every demonic stronghold that would be there to try to hear this message in the wrong way. Any sort of spirit of shame or indictment or condemnation, I just want to rebuke in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd be working in every ear to hear things in the flavor and in the spirit in which they are said. But Lord, you've got to do all of this, and so I want to relinquish responsibility for it. It's too heavy for any of us to carry. Lord, these are your people. This is your word. This is your church. This is your body. And the Holy Spirit is your spirit. So be, be sovereign here. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Some of you have been attending the uh, Lutheran Renewal Conference on the Holy Spirit, or the Renewal Lutheran Conference, or something like that. Um, and I just want to say, I, I've been there a couple of days and have done some speaking there, and I'm happy to report that God is doing some profound and wonderful things among the Lutherans. Amen. Uh, God is doing great things everywhere, and it's just such a kick to see God moving in ways... You know God is moving when you look at a bunch of people and you never guess what affiliation they have. Uh, that, that's God. And on on a, a Friday night, I, got, I was given the opportunity to be a part of a service that, for me, was just so godly orchestrated, and the power of God was so thick there. It was just the presence of God was so powerful. And somehow or other... I ended up on the drums after a sermon, and I was uh, playing along with the worship team, and I looked out and saw all these, these Lutherans, just, you know, uh, and the Lord was slaying people in the spirit, and I don't know even where you stand with all this, but I want to tell you that God was just doing some incredible things. It looked like the day of Pentecost, Amen. These men are not drunken as you suppose. They are Lutherans. <laughs> the Lord is just pouring out a spirit there, and it was just a God-anointed meeting. And I thought, I just chuckled to myself, you know. These people are about as Lutheran as I am Baptist, you know. And um, it's just great to see God moving like that. One of the things that the Lord did, and I want to get at this, I'm sharing this because it's a way I want to get at this message I want to give this morning. One of the things the Lord did, and it, was, it, was, it just impacted me, was that he orchestrated every detail of this evening to drive home a message that he wanted his church to hear, and not just the church on Friday night that was there, but to, for us to bring back to the churches that we're a part of. And so I'm bringing back a piece of this for you. We had a number of prophetic words. This was a service that was set up with the understanding that prophetic words given here. and A number of prophetic words, and all of them indirectly or directly, were along this, this theme. The bride of the bridegroom is saying to the, the bride, no, the groom, of the, the, the groom of the bride, the bride of the church is saying to his bride, come, come, I want to travel with you. I want a deeper relationship with you. I want a more intense relationship with you. I want a more passionate relationship with you. One prophecy was along these lines. Do you remember 
how we used to dance together when we first fell in love. And do you remember the intensity and the passion of that first love? Has it grown cold? I want it to increase. I want that to be the starting point, but I want to go beyond that. I want to go deeper and higher and farther with you, my bride, because I love you. Over and over again, the theme was there. And then the, the, the kids put on this, this dance pageant. And the theme of that dance pageant, the name of the song was Come Ride With Me. And it was sung in the person of Jesus Christ who's riding on his white horse and is saying to his bride, come ride with me. Let's go places together. Let's travel places together. Over and over again, if Jesus himself in the flesh had been up there on stage saying to the group of people there, you are my bride. Will you go with me a little further? Don't stay where you're at. I got other things to show you, other places to go. It could not have been more real than it was. It was so orchestrated. It blows me away, you know, a lot of places they set up these worship committees to make sure everything follows just in order. <laughs> but if you just surrender and let the Holy Spirit take control, the, the head, the head coordinates the body very well if we just give them a chance. And none of them knew what I was going to be preaching on. In fact, I didn't know what I was going to be preaching on until earlier that week. And the Lord gave me this verse, and I want to read it for you and use it as a way of getting into this whole issue on sanctification. In the Song of Solomon's chapter 4, the Lord says this. It's... Uh, the groom speaking to his bride, husband speaking to his wife, actually. And it's a type, an allegory of, of Christ speaking to his church. And he says, How beautiful you are, my darling. This morning, can you individually, and can we as a collective whole, hear the Lord Jesus Christ saying to us, if you're a believer, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Verse 7, all beautiful you are, my darling. Completely. There's, there's not one flaw in you, the Word says. There's not one flaw. I check your mouth. I check your hands. I check your feet. I look up and down. Check your hair. There's not one flaw here. You are perfecto. And then he says, it says this, verse 8, because his heart's on fire, come with me. Come with me now. Set the mood. Come with me. Listen to this. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Let's get out of this place. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir and the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den, the mountain's haunts of the lepers. You have stolen my heart. My sister, my bride, you have stolen my heart. With one glance of your eye, you have stolen my heart. And the prophetic word that was given to us. And I'm giving it here this morning to all of us. Is this. Our Lord is our lover. And he's saying, come with me. Out of Lebanon. And let's go. And then he names the best places, the choice places, the vacation resorts in, 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 in the Mediterranean area. Let's travel to those places where the lions are and, and, and go up on the mountaintops and behold the beauty and share this delight and share the splendor. Get on my horse. Let's go for a ride. I'll take you places you haven't seen before. I'll take you places you've never dreamt of before. We can have the best time you can ever imagine. Will you come with me? He's coaxing us. He's wooing us to come. Deeper, deeper, higher, higher, more intense, more passionate, more sold out, more surrendered. And it may be that you're here this morning and the way this word hits you is like this. 
Maybe you used to be a believer. Maybe you were on fire. Maybe you were just barely a believer. I don't know where you've been, but at some point you turned away and you walked away from it. And maybe you dove into some sin. You knew exactly what you were doing, but you dove into it. Or maybe somehow it just sort of disappeared, but you've been away from the Lord for a while and you know exactly who you are here this morning. And what that prophetic word is saying to you here this morning is this, it's time to come back. It's time to come back. Why? Why suffer any longer? Why be lonely any longer? Why go about empty, trying to chase after false avenues of fullness any longer? Come back now. Come with me, he's saying. Come with me. Like, 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 like Hosea, striving after his bride. Hosea was a prophet in the Old Testament. and The Lord told him to marry this prostitute. They had a couple kids, and then she went back to prostituting. And then the Lord told Hosea, I want you to exemplify what my heart is. I want you to illustrate to them what I am like. You go out into the red light district and knock on doors asking for your wife. And then maybe Israel will see with their own eyes something about what my heart is like. And when you find her, you love her, you embrace her, you forgive her, you take her back. And that's what the Lord is saying to you here this morning. It's time to come back. And, and we can let the bygones be bygones. We can let the past be the past. I've got plenty of blood to cover that. But you've got to come back to me right now. And he's saying to you, come. I want to wash you again. I want to renew you again. You are my beautiful bride. We listen to the voice of the Lord here this morning and say yes to that. And don't leave this place without reconsecrating your life to the Lord. You know who you are here this morning. Maybe for others of you here this morning, the word hits you like this. The word is, is this. You, you, you've, you've been with the Lord. I mean, you walk with the Lord. You're a good church-going person. You haven't gone in any kind of gross sin. There's no sort of vile thing in your life. You're, you're very average. Maybe you're even a little above average. But if you're honest with yourself, then you will know what the Lord knows, and that is that the flame isn't there. The reality is not there. The external is there. No one knows this. No one could ever see this. The outside is polished because you're so used to it. You're going along. You're going through the motions like a marriage that is bottomed out. The machinery keeps on cranking on, but the reality is gone. The life is gone. It's an animated corpse. You know who you are. And maybe you still even do devotions and pray now and then and once in a while feel something in a song service, but the Lord says to you what He said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, your first love has vanished. Something has taken my place as number one in your life. And maybe you're number two and you're doing really good and you're better than most, but see, the Lord never settles for good when he, when he can get great, and He always strives for great. He wants passion. He wants sold-outness. He wants surrender. He wants all of you. And you may be doing good by human standards, by being a good Christian and maybe even doing a lot of good work for the Lord. The Lord's saying, come with me i got a higher mountain to climb. we got better things to see. I can fill you more than you're filled. I can rejuvenate you more than you've been rejuvenated. There's more of me to show to you and more of you to give to me. Get that life back. Get that flame back. Get that fire back. You don't know what you're missing. And maybe there's even another class of, of believers here this morning and the prophetic word comes like this. The Lord's saying, come with me now. Let's get out of Lebanon. You know, the thing about Lebanon is it's so comfortable. The thing about Lebanon is it's so safe. You know where everything is in Lebanon. She was raised in Lebanon. She knew everybody in Lebanon. It was comfortable in Lebanon. Some of you have had to leave Lebanon to come here. I know. And it hurts. Sometimes it hurts to leave Lebanon. Lebanon's a nice place to be. It's safe, secure. You don't get challenged. You know, you get tickled. You get massaged in Lebanon. There's a spiritual Lebanon. And the enemy says, 
If he, can't, if he can't lure you from Lebanon, he certainly doesn't want you going up from Lebanon. Stay away from Mount Zanir and Amana. That's where the bride's saying, come on, come on. But if you leave Lebanon, you've got to trust the groom. You've got to trust where he's going. You've got to trust his horse. You're going to be ascending up on high places. But man, is it beautiful if you get there. And there are people here this morning where you've really gone a long way with the Lord. I mean, in a sense, the Lord's even your first love still. And, and the passion is there. And you do a lot of work for the Lord. I think a lot of us are in this space. But that becomes a new Lebanon for us. And we believe that we've actually arrived. Because comparatively speaking, you know, we're, we're just way ahead of everybody else. Maybe you're thinking to yourself that. And maybe you are. You see, the Lord does not ever work by comparisons. <laughs> he, does, he, he cares diddly squat about comparisons. He's got a heart and he knows where he wants to bring you. And it can happen that you get to a mountaintop and you think, I have arrived, this is great, the, the major strongholds have been broken, I have, you know, I'm there, I'm dedicated, I'm sold out, and let's make a tent out of, on, on this mountaintop, and let's stay here, and we'll just sort of coast the next 30 years, or until the Lord takes me home. This is a good place to be, I like this, and it becomes a new Lebanon. The Lord loves you too much to say, let's be okay with that. That's good, that's good, but he wants greatness, and there's always more greatness to be had. And so the Lord is saying, you stopped at this summit, but look up there, look where we could be, look where we could be traveling. There are reservoirs of life and reservoirs of joy that you haven't even begun to tap yet. And I really believe the Lord is saying to us individually, whatever stage you are at, and the Lord is saying to us as a body, as a whole, come on, Come on, there's more to be sold. There's more to be surrendered. There's more of the Lord to know than we've ever known. And there's more of us to be yielded to Him than we've ever yielded. The Bible says as we look upon the face of Jesus Christ, with unveiled faces, we behold His glory. And as we see the glory of the groom, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. From one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. There's always more degrees of glory. And until we are in eternity, radiating objectively outwardly with the same splendor and love as the Lord Jesus Christ, until that time, we've got to continue to hunger. We've got to continue to thirst. We've got to continue to pursue whatever stage you are at. There's an infinity up ahead of you. And the Lord is saying, come on, let's keep growing, let's keep going. In fact, I believe that throughout eternity we'll be discovering more and more avenues of the greatness of God. Never stop where you're at. Never rust in Lebanon when the groom is saying, come on, farther, farther, and farther. There's more work to be done in us, more transformation, more of the Lord's love to flow through our life, more ministry to be done here while we're waiting, more transformation and more holiness to take place. He's saying, come. He's saying, come. To each one of us. Whatever place we're at, I got more. I got, and you have no idea. Jeremiah 33 says that if we call upon him, he will show us things that we have not yet imagined. We think, we're, we think we've arrived on this plateau, and we haven't even begun to climb, praise God. And as a body, the Lord is saying to us here as a body, Woodland Hills never, ever rest. Never get content. However good your place of contentment might be. But always be seeking me for new, not, not, not looking for new gimmicks and new this or new that, but deeper relationship, more profound, more passionate, more sold out. Because the Lord has not, we have not even the surface of what he can, done, can do to us and through us if we're just willing to get on his white horse and ride with him. Praise God. Praise God. That's the word for the Lord. Word of the Lord for us.
Now the question I want to ask this morning is this, why does the Lord want us to come with Him? Why is He saying, come with me? Is it? Because if we go with Him and we discover new levels of commitment, new levels of surrender, new levels of abandonment, new levels of dedication with Him, that He'll love us more? That we'll be prettier in His eyes if we do that? Is God's heart like a thermometer that goes up and down depending on what the, the uh, atmosphere of our behavior does? Do we get God to like us by becoming better Christians? Does God fall more in love with us depending on what we do and don't do? And does God's affection go down when we go on slides? If you think that way, then you'll never understand Paul's question, should we sin that grace may abound? Because that question would never arise if that's what's going on between us and God. If God is a stockbroker, a, a sort of an accountant, and we just sort of uh, get good dividends and bad dividends depending on what we do and don't do, well then we know exactly why we should not sin. It's because if we don't sin, we're going to get the axe. And, and by not sinning, we get a reward. It's a reward system going on here. Uh, the the uh, form of Christianity I was first saved in, this question would never get asked. Should we sin that grace may abound? Because we were given a bunch of oughts and a bunch of shoulds, a bunch of better do's, a bunch of rules, and it was understood that when you go through those rules, when you jump those hoops, then God likes you a lot, but when you don't do them or when you stop doing them, God's affection gets withdrawn. And salvation is a matter of meeting all the prerequisites. It's kind of an employer-employee relationship, not a husband-wife relationship. But in that context, it's called legalism. In that context, we're asked, should we sin that grace may abound? No, you shouldn't sin just so you can get saved and get out of hell. So the first, if we're going to understand this, we've got to understand what the good news is about. The Lord here says to his bride, come with me, come with me. I want to go places with you, not to get us beautiful. I want you to see here that he says, you are beautiful, before he says, come with me. You are beautiful. And that's why he says, come with me. He doesn't say, come with me, and then I'll make you beautiful. He says, I find you beautiful, therefore come with me. Here's the good news. I want to lay it out in a nutshell here, because if we don't understand the essence of the good news, we're not going to understand the, the legitimacy of the question, should we send that grace may abound, and we'll never understand Paul's answer, no way. The good news is this. The good news starts with the bad news. Okay? And you've got to have the bad news. If, you're going to, if the good news is going to be good, the bad news has got to be bad. One of the problems with the church today is we stop preaching the bad news, that makes the good news good. Here's the bad news. We were going to hell. We were in serious trouble. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I'm going to tell you straight out, you're in serious trouble. Because the Bible says that we were by nature children of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2. We were a rebellious and condemned race of people. We were at odds with God. We were at war with God. We were under the tyranny of the enemy. We were headed for destruction. So deep in sin were we, that we didn't even know we were heading for destruction. I never knew that. Did you know that? A lot of believers today still don't know that. It's kind of hard to believe. We live in an age where that every, every bit of energy that this age is about, the spirit of this age, minimizes sin. So we don't see what's so bad about it. It seems so normal. It seems so, you know, what is God so uptight about? You know, that kind of thing. Like people on the Titanic, two minutes away from hitting the glacier, we thought everything was okay. But the Bible says that we were lost. We were heading into destruction. We were drowning. We were at war with God. That's the bad news. We are in serious trouble. But the good news starts here, the second point. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet hogs rolling in the mud and loving every bit of it, Christ died for us. 
He who was God Almighty became one of us, the exalted become, became the denigrated. The one who was infinitely high became infinitely low. The one who owned all things abandoned all things. He immersed himself into our situation. And the one who lived in heaven, whose reign is glorious, dove down into all that was the opposite of glorious, into hell itself. And the Bible says he took upon himself all of our sin, all the punishment for that sin, all the damnation of that, of that sin, because he loved us. He took upon himself. And the third point is this. The Bible says that anybody, and this is just mind-boggling beauty, anyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says God takes what belongs to him and gives it to us and because he took what belonged to us and he, 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 he gave it to himself. God made him, Ephesians chapter 2, or Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you trust in the Lord, this is the good news, the righteousness of God Almighty is given to you as a gift. Blessed is the man, Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 4, blessed is the man who doesn't work, who doesn't think that he can get okay by, by climbing the ladder of his own works. Blessed is the man who doesn't do that, but simply trusts in God who justifies the ungodly. That's the good news. The good news is this. That doesn't just get you out of hell. That's not just fire insurance. That's not even the primary thing it does. Oh, thank God it does that too. But when the Lord, the Lord makes us beautiful, the Lord gives us his glory, the Lord robes us in his righteousness, amen, the Lord casts our sin apart from us. As far as the east is from the west, he's sins from himself. He doesn't see that anymore. He washes us in the blood. And that is why. He looks upon us, all who say yes to him, all who accept him as Lord and Savior. The Lord says to us, as we are right now, you are beautiful, you are glorious. I find no flaw in you. I delight in you. I rejoice over you. He claps his hands over us, the Bible says. He dances over us. Because when he looks at us, we've got to see this. This is the essence of the good news. When he looks at us, he sees a reflection of himself. Our salvation, praise God, is not about us. It's not about how relatively good or relatively bad you are. It's about him. It's about what he's done to us. It's what he's done for us. And that's what makes us the bride of Christ. Amen? Amen. That's the good news. Grace is for free. Otherwise, it's not grace. It's a kitten caboodle, all or nothing deal. Boom. Now, here's the question. If that is true then the next question should be, well, wait. If, if my stance with God isn't, it doesn't depend on my behavior, then I guess it doesn't matter much what I do. Maybe, in fact, maybe I should sin that grace may abound. He, he sees me as a beautiful bride anyways because I trust in Jesus, so maybe I should just keep on sinning. Or the way it usually comes out in our culture is this. Well, you know, I know the Lord's a forgiving God, and so he'll forgive me. I, I'm going to do it now, and, uh, but he'll forgive me tomorrow or next year. When I get around to it, he'll forgive me. I always know that. That's what he does. That, that's who God is. Turns God into kind of this senile old man, and I go, oh, that's all right, no big deal, you know. Yeah, he, he just, he'll forgive me. It's, uh, or sometimes it, it comes like this. He's got Jesus spectacles, and he doesn't see our sin. He's kind of an ignorant God, you know. He doesn't see what we really are. As long as he wants to pretend like we're beautiful, then let's, let's go with it. Shall we sin that grace may abound? And now you can question the right. Okay, it almost makes sense. Given the gospel, that question makes sense. 
And one way to know that you're preaching the gospel right is that people have that question. Paul had to ask that, answer that question several times in the epistles. If you're preaching grace the way it's supposed to be preached, people should be saying, well, gosh, what difference does it make to be holy? But if you understand what grace is about, the next answer that Paul gives should be there just as solidly. No way should we go on sinning that grace may abound. In fact, Paul uses this, it, it's, it's uh, meganeto in Greek. It's this idiomatic way for saying, never let it be. Absolutely, absolutely not. It's unthinkable. It is a grotesque thought. Let it never cross your mind, he's saying. It's, a, it's an emphatic phrase he uses. Should we send that grace may abound? I understand why you're asking the question, but you've got to hear this really loud and clear. Never, never, never act on that principle. And the question is why, and he tells us in verse 2. Let it never be. Why? He starts by, and we'll, we'll finish this up next week, but he goes, how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Now, this is profound stuff here, people. We just got to absorb it. We died to sin, Paul says. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you die to sin. That means your relationship with sin is that of a corpse, right? like a corpse's relationship to everything. A corpse is unresponsive to everything. That is how the believer is to sin. You're dead to it. It has no hook on you. You have no hook on it. It has no relationship with you. You have no relationship with it. Yeah, and I know right now this isn't sounding right. It's like, what do you mean? I, I just had a relationship with it this morning. Well, let's let God's word be true, and, and then we'll work from there. You died to sin. This is another way of saying God made you beautiful. Because the only thing that's not beautiful in God's creation is sin. God sees sin for what it really is. It is cyanide to him. He, it repulses him. It disgusts him. We think it's beautiful because we're in it. But he sees it as repulsive. What he finds beautiful is freedom from sin. We are, the Bible says, when we trust in Jesus Christ, dead to sin. We are made beautiful before the Lord. Now here's what we gotta, 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 gotta see. It doesn't say the Lord pretends like we're dead to sin. It doesn't say the Lord pretends like we're beautiful. It doesn't say the Lord just chooses to see us like this, but we're really not. It doesn't say the Lord plays some kind of a, a, a game. He acts as though we're righteous. He acts like we're justified. He pretends that we're holy. He sees us as being justified even though we're really not. The Bible says you are dead to sin. The Bible says you who are a, are a believer are beautiful. You really are beautiful. That is your real being. You really are justified. That's a true thing. Yeah, you got a lot of lies right now telling you that that's not the case. But the Lord says you are beautiful. The Lord says you are justified. The Lord says you are holy, praise God. The Lord says you are freed from that stuff, praise God. The Lord says you are righteous in his eyes. The Lord says that your inner being is to be a bride. And that's why he says, come with me. Come with me. He's saying come with me because, in fact, you are a bride. That's not a pretend thing. That's a real thing. And what he's saying here is this. Since you are my bride... I'm not a fool. I don't see you as a, a, in, in terms that are different than what you really are. My sight is perfect. And as I see you is how you really are. It's not my, God's saying it's not my eyesight that's the problem. It's your eyesight. You don't see yourself as I see you. So he's saying to the bride, come on, let's do what a bride and groom do together. Let's enjoy life together. Let's go places together. But the bride, the bride says, oh, no, I, I'm not that. Reminds me of a woman that I knew one time in a church. The Lord gave me an eyesight for her to see her as the Lord saw her. And in the Lord, she was beautiful. She radiated. She was the bride of Christ. But she had a history, a past, 
dealing with men, starting with her father and her brother, and then continuing on throughout all these different relationships, where she got the message that she is, in her words, a used rag. She is a slut. She is a whore. That's, that's, how, that, that's what was... And she deserves punishment. And so from relationship to relationship, she went and she could sniff out an abusive man a mile away and she'd get involved in that relationship and she'd get the tar beat out of her and she'd be in the church here and she'd come and she'd have a black and blue eye or a tooth missing or whatever. And she always had an excuse and we finally caught on to what was going on. We put her in a woman's shelter and she'd go back to these abusive relationships because there's something in her head, something sick, something jaded that says, this feels right, this is appropriate. And so it is with the church today. The Lord says, you are a beautiful bride. You are redeemed. I have bought you with a price. I have made you new. Behold, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have, in fact, passed away. All things are new. you got a new heart. you got a new mind. you got a regenerate spirit. But the bride keeps on saying, no, that's not, like, that's not me. Like Hosea's wife keeps on going in the red light district. That's what we do whenever we choose to rebel against God rather than having a relationship with God. Whenever we say, my pleasure, not God's will. My will, not God's will. My way, not God's way. I'm going to do my thing, not God's thing. We're like a spouse that says, I want to roll in the mud like the hogs do because that's what feels appropriate. I'm going to go back to the red light district when all the while he's saying, come with me. I got things that will fill you up like that. Those things can never fill you up. You are my bride. You are beautiful. I want to transform you in that way. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Paul is saying, you can't do that because grace isn't about a pretend thing. It's a real thing. It really does make you anew. It is against God's redeemed nature that he has given you to keep on living in sin. It's against your nature. And if you're a regenerate born again here this morning, even if you're rolling in the mud right now here this morning and you're just going back, the Bible says like a dog returning to its vomit. Graphic imagery. There's something inside of you that's saying, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. But maybe you got a mind up there or a will that's saying, but I like it so much. I want to stay here. I, want to, I can't give this up. This is me. And the Lord this morning is saying to you, let go of that. Let go of that. Come on. Let's travel places. Let's, 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 let's be together. i got so much to give you. But if you keep on having this obstinate back towards me, I can't embrace you the way I want to embrace you. As the worship team comes up here, I want to ask this question here this morning. And what areas is the Lord saying to you individually? Come on. Come on. It may be something as minor, although it's not minor, but something like, you haven't grown for a while here, have you? Come on, let's grow. Let's, let's shift gears, one more gear. Or it may be something as major as the Lord saying to you, it's time to walk out of that affair. You know how this is not you. You're not happy. Or maybe even you think you are, but I got so much more for you. I freed you from the enemy. Don't go back under his claw. And I want us to spend a little bit of time here. We got some time left. Letting the Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts. He wants a bride that is not just in fact holy, but lives holy. That lives out, that travels with him, that walks with him, that walks in his righteousness. It's cleansed by the blood and shows it by the way we live. The Lord gave me a picture last service, and I feel it here yet, and it's this. I picture the, the, the groom on his white horse saying, look at those mountaintops, look at that beautiful stuff up there. 
with me? Will you ride with me? And there's a part of this bride that wants to even get on the horse. and say, yeah, I really do. I, I, I can see it. You got a big ball and chain on your leg and you can't get off the ground. And the Lord is saying to you, if you just say yes to me, I'll reach down and pinch the chain and it will melt and you'll have it no longer. Will you let the Lord get the ball off your leg this morning? Will you let the Lord take you on a ride? Will you let the Lord get from you what he's asking you to get? No one else in this room knows what that is, but he does and you do. And this is the time just to surrender, just to surrender. And maybe you don't even know an area, a particular area that you're holding out on. Let the Holy Spirit, just, just as a good exercise as a bride, say, Lord, take it all. Renew that vow this morning.